We're going to be in Psalms chapter 63. I kind of like this. I get to pick what I want to do. Of course, I always do. You know, but I, I love the Psalms. And uh, I don't know the last time I've preached out of the Psalms. For what? This Psalm? All right, pay attention. Because I'm going to do it again. You people scare me. You know that? <laughs> Two years ago. All right. Well, it's going to be different. You know, I've been preaching for a long time. I, I, really, I, I don't know that I've ever preached the same sermon. I just don't like doing that. I've got them. I mean, I've got files. But I've, I've, I've never done that. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 11 Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. The Lord add his blessing to the scriptures. Please be seated. Every week, millions of people get up and, uh, in churches and across this land and across the world. They recite, uh, Hallowed be thy name, right? Through the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed simply means to treat something as valuable, treat something as supremely important in our lives. And one of the best places to understand that is right here, Psalm 63, what that means, Hallowed be thy name. So as you read this psalm, most of the psalms have headings to them. If you open your Bible, you look at it in your Bibles, you'll see it there. The heading of this psalm is a psalm of David. There it is there. A psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. So that tells us something about this psalm. It tells us uh, something about what, what David is writing. And when David is in the wilderness in Judah, we say, well, when was that? Well, verse 9 gives us a hint as to when that might be. He's running for his life there in verse 9. He's talking about those who seek my life. Those who seek my life. But when was King David on the run for his life? And the answer is when his son, the son he loved, his beloved son, the one he loved the most, turned on him and betrayed him. And um, he took the throne of David, you remember? And... uh, Absalom was his name, and he had to flee for his life. And David lost his family. David lost his kingdom. David is now running because he's afraid he's going to lose his own life. So that's the situation. That's what this psalm is about. 
as we look at it. But the roots go back deeper than this, historically, uh, years and years, when David lusted after and married uh, a married woman, Bathsheba, Bathsheba. Had an affair with her, had her husband murdered. You remember the story. Of course, it came out. It always comes out. Your sins will find you out. And David repented and he was forgiven of that. But Nathan the prophet came to him and said, you know, yes, you're forgiven. (laughs) Lord will forgive you of this, but the sword will never depart from your house. He's saying, I want you to know that you have sown some seeds here. You have sown some seeds. You have permanently poisoned your own family with seeds of bitterness and jealousy Seeds of distrust. And without tracing it all out, Absalom's rebellion, his rebelliousness, his son, uh, the murder of his brother, his seeking to murder his father now, all that comes from this. All that comes from this. Seeds. Seeds. So when David's out in the wilderness, he's on the run. He knows the reason he's lost everything is his own fault. He owns it. He had to live with the fact that it's because he failed as a king. He abused his power. He failed as a husband. He failed as a man, as a father. He failed in every way in his life. And he's out in the wilderness and he's being hunted down. And largely because of his own sins. You can read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 17 through 19 right in there. And he's rebuked by Joab. He's depressed. He's virtually suicidal. Things are going so bad in his life. Only if you understand that will you understand this psalm and this prayer that's been given in the psalm. When you get to verse 11, the last verse of this psalm, there's a climax to this that's absolutely astounding. But only if you know the heading and know what has happened historically here in the psalm. So in verse 11, he just doesn't say I. A lot of times he says, I did this, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm in trouble. And many times David does that. He says, this is happening to me, I'm on, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm on the run, I'm on, on thin ice here, they're after me. Here he says, the king. The king. The king. Kinder, in his commentary on this, says, on this psalm, he says, this is a clue to the meaning of the psalm. It's more than a synonym for I. It's a reassertion of his calling. The king. He talks about himself as the king. He's reasserting himself and the calling that he has in the Lord. I know who I am, he says. And that's what he's doing here. I know I'm the king. That's what's going on here. How in the world do you have a man who's totally failed, about to lose everything, and yet his head is up, he's moving ahead, and he says, doesn't matter what I've done. What's going on? I'm the king. I'm the king. And I know who I am. I know who I am. Where do you get confidence like that? Confidence like that for your life. 
He should be crushed. He, he, he totally broken. His family has fallen apart. His kingship is gone. His son's on the throne. But look, he's thirsting, Scripture says. He's thirsting. How was he able to get that kind of poise, that kind of power? And the answer is adoration. Adoration. And I want to show this to you this morning for your own lives. David goes into the sanctuary and he's hungering and he's thirsting. Verse 1 tells us he's hungering and thirsting for God. He beholds his glory. He begins to experience his power and the scripture says he's satisfied. He doesn't pray, give me protection. He needs it. He really, really needs it. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. He's been forgiven. What does he ask for? He just asks for God. I'm going to show this to you. Look down at verse 11 again. I love verse 11. The king will rejoice in God. The king will rejoice in God. Adoration has, has given him the power to face something that would crush anybody. Crush their lives. Now before we get into the parts of praise, let me talk about why it was that David was able to say, I know who I am, I know I'm the king, and reassert that in his life. Why would he have that kind of confidence after he, he's done praising? And I'm going to tell you. We're going to see it right here. Basically, it's very logical. Basically, you view yourself, I view myself, you view yourself, and the world is totally controlled, your world, by what you worship. By what you worship. What's on the palate of your heart? What is it that's there? What's at the center of your life? What's the beauty of your life? The only way you can fundamentally change is change what you worship. That's a true statement. Timothy Keller said that. Everybody's worshiping something. Everybody's worshiping something. It's, it's where your identity comes from, who you are comes from. If you worship God, your identity can stand up to anything that comes to you in life. If you're worshiping anything else, your identity comes and goes with that and how you feel that day. So first of all, there's part of you, there's a center, there's a private place in your life. When you're, you're in the moment and you have nothing else to think about, what do you think about in those moments? What do you think about in those moments? Or when you're in trouble or you're kind of unhappy with life, where do you escape in your thoughts when life is not going the way you want it to go? <laughs> You've taken a turn in your life. What is so important to you that if you lose it, your life is meaningless? What is that? What is that? David looks at God in verse 5, and he says, you're better than life. It's right there. You're better than life. You're better than, I like it. You're better than life. Everybody's looking at something and saying, if I don't have this, life is nothing. Everybody does that. What's your palate? 
What's your palate? What's a, what is a palate? A palate is your taste buds. What do you thirst for? What's, what, what, is, what, what is that? What is that? Let's, let's say I have a wonderful piece of super expensive chocolate. You like chocolate? All right. So I take this chocolate, I put it on top of my head. All right? I know it's there. I understand it's there. But that's about it. So I take that chocolate off my head and I put it in the palm of my hand and I look at it in the palm of my hand and I see that it's in the palm of my hand and now I know it's kind of goopy. Is that a word? Goopy? It's kind of goopy. But when I take that and I put it on my tongue, that chocolate, I put it on my tongue, suddenly it electrifies me. I like it. That chocolate, it electrifies my whole body. Why? Why? Because the tongue is the only place I can really get hold of the richness and the sweetness. Other parts of my body, I can just sort of sense it. I know it's there. Now think about this for a second. Let's just say you believe God loves you. Believe God loves you. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse loves you. You know, we, your peers respect you at work and the things that you do. Your parents, you get along, things get along, you're doing. Question, which one is on the palate of your soul? Which one? Which one? Which one are you really looking for, for warmth, for life, for worth, for significance of who you are? Something is on the palate of your soul something. There's something you're adoring, something in the center that you're saying as you look at your life, if I don't have this, who cares what life is about? What is it? What makes you tick? What makes you tick? The root of your personality is what you adore in your life. What you worship, it's the heart of your identity. It's the heart of your identity. For example, if you're dating someone, you're getting real serious with that individual, and we've all kind of been through this, and you break up, it's tough, there's tears, you know, there's, there's things. But there's, there's always a certain percentage who can't get over it. They can't get over it. You feel devastated. Time passes and you can't get past it and you're just, you're worried, you're thinking about it. You, you, you never look at yourself the same and you feel like you're, you've been rejected as an individual. You, you, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You know? Well, probably a lot. I mean, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about me. Probably a lot. But I'll tell you the main problem, the main problem when the love of God doesn't console you, doesn't change you, doesn't empower you so that the love of somebody else or the respect of somebody else or the success in some other field in my work is more important than that, that is a worship issue. That's a worship issue in your life. 
you've been sucking on something besides the grace and the love of God. You've been turning it over in the palate of your hearts, thinking about it, spinning out different scenarios of what, what if, what if, what if. You've done it to yourself. And as much as I love my wife, as much as I love being a pastor, the reason you're devastated is that God needs to be on the palate of your heart. Your love for God needs to be first. That's what David is talking about here in this psalm. That's what David did, and he was able to face stuff that would absolutely break anybody. Absolutely. That's the power of adoration, of adoring him. That's the first point. There's power in adoration. Secondly, so what do we mean by adoration? What do we mean by when we say we praise? We talk about this now. Well, we're praising God. Well, what is that? What is that? let's, Let's break it down this morning. Let's look at it because we talk about it a lot. What do you say about that? How do you do that? You're, you're already doing it with something in your life. Everyone's praising something. Everyone's adoring something. You might be doing it with your career. You might be doing a relationship. But when it comes to God, it's going to take some work. David speaks to it. Parts of praise, it's in verses 2 through 5, if you want to take a look at it in your scripture there. And this is for all of us here. You don't just need to believe in God. You need to adore and experience God. It's not just belief. It's adoring him. It's, 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 it's living in him. It's experiencing him. So how? First of all, recollection. There's a remembering that goes on when we think about who God is. Recollection is an old word. It simply means to think about the glories of God. Recall the glories of God. You know, in verses 2 and 3 in your scriptures, he says, I've seen your power. I've seen your glory. I've seen your love. He's, he's, re- he's recalling. He's looking at those. We all, we, we've all used it before where, where one lover says, you know, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. He's breaking it down. Let me count the ways. You know, young girl asks her boyfriend, how much do you love me? And he says, honey, look up at the sky, count the stars. You know, you women have been through this. That's how much I love you. And she looks up at the sky, she says, well, the sun is shining. And he says, well, there you go. That's a guy right there. Well, there you go. <laughs> what, do you say about, what do you say about it? So you imagine two lovers who are talking, and the man says, I love you. And she says, why? Why? Why do you love me? She's like, break it down for me. Break it down for me. He says, well, you're, you know, men are, you're great. You're great. You know, she says, well, how am I great? <laughs> how am I great? You know, in what ways am I great? And uh, if he says, well, I've got 30 things that I have to share with you about how the love that I have. And he starts to go through them. And his heart, as he goes through these, and her heart, as he goes through these, begins to expand and expand, and expand. So the first way you begin to adore is you get into the details of your relationship. You don't just say you're great. 
you break it down. You break it down. That's the first thing you do in praising God. You think about all the things that he's done, all the things that he's given you. You don't just say he's loving. It's gracious love. It's tough love. It's wise love. And then, okay, well, how is it wise? How is it wise? It's wise in this way, and it's wise like this. That's the first thing. You, you recall these good things about God in your life. Secondly, there's this, this evaluation of things. It's in verse 3. He had seen the glory, he'd seen the power, he'd seen the love, and he says, that's better than life. That's better than life. When he uses the word better than, he's evaluating things, right? He's evaluating things. He's looking at, he's appraising things. He's the glories, he's valuing the glories, he's, valuing, he's treasuring the love of God. He's not just saying, you're this, and you're this, and you're this, and you're this. He's, he's starting to say, now, if you're strong, why am I afraid? He's evaluating. If you're strong, why am I afraid? If you're merciful, why do I feel so bad about myself? He's thinking, okay, what's the value of these things? That's part of praise. What's, what's the value? What value do we have in God? You know? That's why over and over in the Psalms, it doesn't just say, Lord, you're the strength of my life. Right? What does it say? Of whom shall I be afraid? That's the value of it. You're the strength of my life. What does that mean to me? Why should I be afraid? Because you're the, he's evaluating that. See, adoration doesn't just say, you're strong. It says, if you're strong, why am I scared? You're valuing. You're valuing God. And imagine you had a vase in your, from, that you got from your grandma, and it's, it's in your daughter's room, and she's always knocking it over, and someone comes walks in, and she says, you realize how much that vase is worth? It's worth $3 million. Well, it's not going to stay in her room anymore. I, I'll tell you that. You're going to move it. You're going to put it someplace. You're going to treat it differently. Why? Why? Because somebody praise it. The second thing you do in praise is you evaluate. You adore, you evaluate. You say, if this is true, how then shall I live? How shall I live my life? I'm living in accord with the value of what I have. Third thing that happens here is when you move that, you understand those two things, the adoration, the expression, comes next. Now, because you know that, you begin to express that in your life, you know, which is declaring the glories. Verse 4 says, you declare the glories of God. In your name, I will lift up my hands. With singing lips, my mouth will pray. He begins to express this to God. He lifts it up to him. Lifting up hands was, was, was probably praying in public because that's what they did back then. In the temple, the tabernacle, the people would stand and raise their hands together, offer their petitions, sing praises, of course. There's music involved here. This is important. I, I learned a lesson some years ago reading a famous fashion by C.S. Lewis. When Lewis was a new Christian, he had a problem with the fact that God was always saying, praise me, praise me. Always asking for compliments. That's how he put it. God's always asking for compliments. Have you ever met somebody who's like always asking for compliments? Talk to somebody like that. Don't point at people. 
<laughs> I'm not looking at you. And, you know, you, you, I, I did this with my, my, my brothers and sisters uh, when, during uh, COVID. We always would meet once a month on uh, Zoom. And so we'd, we'd talk. And my, my, my family's all over the United States. So we got together on Zoom. Once a month we'd meet. And I remember one time I said that to them. They got talking and talking. I said, hey, you know what? It's nice to talk about you people, but let's talk about me. You know? And you know how that goes over with, like, with, with family? <laughs> Let's talk about me. Let's, don't, don't you think I'm kind of a big deal? You know, don't you think I'm kind of a big It's annoying. Those people are annoying. And when you think about it, so when God does it, Lewis said, why is God doing this? This is ridiculous. Praise me, praise me, praise me. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? There's a great passage in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, where he says, and I'll put the quote up there for you, the central fact about praise had escaped me. I thought of praise as compliments and approval. I had never noticed that all enjoyment, all enjoyment overflows into praise. The world, he says, rings with praise. Lovers praising the people they love. Readers praising their favorite books. Walkers praising the countryside and the, the hillsides when they walk. Parents praising their kids. And Lewis says, but here's what my mistake was. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise does not merely express, it completes the enjoyment. It completes the enjoyment. It's not just out of compliments that lovers keep telling each other how beautiful they are, the delight is incomplete until it's expressed. I love you. I love you. You know, my love for my wife is not complete. And, and, and you got to be careful with this because I walk out the house and I did this morning. Well, I, I said, I'm going to church. I'll see you when I get back. I love you. And I, we, we say those words a lot. I love you, I love you, I'll do this. I say, well, you know, I'm going to, I love you, I love you, I love you. And so when I want to say it to her, when I want to complete it in my own heart and my, my eyes, I'll say, I love you, and she'll be laying there looking at me and doing something else, and I'll say, hey. No, I'm serious. I love you. Look at me. Look at me. Pay attention. I love you. I love you. To fully enjoy is to glorify. To glorify. So in commanding us to glorify him, God is simply inviting us to enjoy him. Enjoy him. Lewis says, when joy, you enjoy something, why do you have to get talk about it to somebody else? I mean, we all do this too, you know? It's like you. You're always sending me those songs that you like. Look at this song I found. Debbie will send it to me. Sometimes they're okay, sometimes they're not. <laughs> but why do you have to get someone else involved? Why? Why do you got to send, oh, look at this picture. Look at this. Look at, look at, look at this. I'm going to send this over to Kathy. I'm going to send this over to you. Look at this. No, you desperately want to share it with so-and-so. Whoever, 
you say, look at this. You want to praise it to somebody else. It's an enjoyment to you. Why do you need to do that? Here's why. Lewis says, when you begin to enjoy something, you don't just praise it to express joy. You praise it to complete your joy. It completes your joy. It completes your joy. Joy is not complete until it's praised. Put it into words. Put it into words. We are communal people. We are social people. Together. Um, We sing together. It's not quite as joyful without everyone else around. You know, I'm pretty good in the shower. It's not quite as joyful as when other people are singing together and we're lifting our voices together, our thoughts together, our minds together before the Lord. It's not quite as joyful. We sound better together than we do by ourselves. That's why it's silly, silly to think you can enjoy God all by yourself. It's so modern, it's so Western, it's so American. It's so American. Well, you know, I have this, uh, I have this own little uh, private, you know, uh, 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 I, not I don't need church. No, 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 no. No, no, no. That's not how God's designed us, nor his church. You have to express it. You have to express it. You have to sing it. You have to pray it, read it, shout it, breathe it. You have to experience it together as his people, as his church. The reason God is saying, praise me, praise me well, praise me with good music, praise me with good art, praise me with with great words, praise me together. It's not because he needs a compliment. He doesn't. He doesn't. I'm needy, praise me. No, 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 no. He says, I want you to have the consummate joy that will only come if you praise me. So praise me. Praise me. So the third thing, express it. Express it. Then lastly, you move from recollection to value, evaluating things, to expressing it, and you get to verse 5. We're kind of walking right through this. You get to verse 5, and that verse talks about satisfaction. Satisfaction. It says... My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. My soul will be satisfied. Your your palate, you begin to taste. You know, he talks again back in verse, I I thirst, I taste, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. You want to know the difference between praise and adoration and every other kind of prayer? There's a difference. There's a big difference, actually. When you're confessing your sins, you're going to God confessing your sins, you're asking for what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yeah, you're asking for forgiveness. When you're petitioning for the needs of the world, you're asking for change, for healing, for power, for those things to change. When you're asking and, and you're saying, thy kingdom come, you're looking for justice. Because things aren't right here. 
We want your kingdom to come. You're asking for justice. When you praise God, now listen to me. When you praise God, what are you asking for? You're not asking God for anything but God. God. Asking for God. Jonathan Edwards says, religious people don't, don't understand praise. He says, because religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. Christians find God beautiful. Religious people, he says, say, okay, what do I have to do in order to get things that I want? Believers understand that what we want is God himself. We want God himself. It's God's holiness. It's God's love. It's God himself that we want. Verse 1, I thirst after God. You know, I told you last week, that's really the whole, whole thing starts there. Verse 1, I thirst after God, God himself. So first three things are kind of under your control. You can recollect. You can do that. You can evaluate things. You can do that. You can express yourself. You can do that. You know, but to sense the sweetest sweetness here, and to have your soul feast on him, listen to me, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, the first three kinds of things we can do, we can do these things. It's like building an altar, you know? Um, and the last one is the Holy Spirit coming down with fire. Fire doesn't come out of heaven for just any old thing. Let me admit something to you. Praise is incredibly hard. You think it's not, it is. It's incredibly hard. You say to yourself, I'm going to start spending more time in praise. I want to praise God more in my life. So you start to think about his attributes, you start to think about his power and his glory and his, his, his love, and you say, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not feasting. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, but it's hard. You know why? You know why? Jesus does not actually, in Scripture, tell you to praise God. He actually asks you to ask God to help you praise Him. That you get help in praise. God. So when you say, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be thy name, that means let it be that we praise you. Let it be that we praise you. Jesus teaches that our first priority in prayer is to ask our heavenly father that his name would be hallowed. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice this is a, uh, a petition it's a request. It's not like we, 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 we pray. It's not a declaration. And for a long time, I thought it was. It's a request. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's a petition to God that his name be hallowed. It's a request to God that he would see to it that his own name would be hallowed. Above all, he doesn't say, help us confess our sins. That's fairly simple. He doesn't say, 
help us petition, that's fairly simple. But Jesus considered the praise of God so hard, so difficult, that the Lord's Prayer actually asked God's help to praise him. And here's where I think is the key to that. And I'll close with this. Look in verse 3. In verse 3, David's looking at the power and the glory, but what he thinks he decides is better than life. He says, what is the thing that he puts on the palate of his soul? Verse 3. What does he put there? Love. Your love. Verse 3. Your love. That's what he puts. It's a hard word to translate, actually. Um, it's called steadfast love or loving kindness in other uh, versions of Scripture. It's a unique word. Is chesed is the word in the Hebrew, chesed. It means loyal love. It means loyal love. Strong, immovable, steadfast love. Unconditional love. A love that's willing to put itself in danger. A love that will stay no matter what. David says, I know that God has promised to love me no matter what. And my life is a mess. That's the thing that really gets adoration going. In Genesis 15, you all know this passage, actually. Abraham, is, it's, the, it's a, where the covenant is given. Abraham says, how do I know, how do I know you're going to bless me? He's talking to God. How do I, you know, God says, I'm going I'm to make a covenant. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to be here. For, how, and, and he says, how do I know you're going to bless me? How do I know you're really, you really love me? How do I know that? How do I know you're not going to get tired of me? And God says to him, cut up some animals. Right? Cut up some animals. And Abraham cuts the animals up and he puts out the pieces on the ground and what it, and suddenly God comes, right? We know this passage of scripture. It's, it's a, he comes down in, in the form of a smoking pot and burning torch and he passes between the pieces of the cut animals and he says, I promise to bless you. And Abraham is amazed. And so is everyone who reads this. David is amazed. I'm amazed when I look at this. Why? Why? In that day, in that time, for you to walk through dead animals was to take an oath and say, I promise, now listen to me, I promise to do what I'm saving, even if it means to cut into pieces myself in order to do it. God is saying, I'm going to bless you even if I have to die. That's what's happening. Why would God say such a thing? Steadfast love. David is more astounded by that than anything else. But I'll tell you something. If the steadfast love of the Lord is the thing that really got David's adoration going, do you realize how much more of an understanding we have than David had? All he knew was God promised that kind of love, but we know how he fulfilled that promise, right? We know how he fulfilled that promise. We know how steadfast God's love is. We know what Jesus did for us. 
And we're going to celebrate that in just a second. I'll put it this way. There was a king who suffered and died, not for his sins, but for ours. There was a king who looked to his father and said, I'm going to rejoice in spite of everything that's coming down upon me. I'm going to rejoice in you. But instead of God being kind to that king, God poured out his wrath on that king. His eternal justice on that king. And we see Jesus on the cross. And we see steadfast love in a way that cannot be revealed any place else. When you see that and understand that that, 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 that melts your heart and it will get you to adoration. It will get you to praise. See, if you just adore him in general, it's going to be mechanical. But if you find, and you will, and you will, his power and his glory and his grace and his mercy and his wisdom, when you look at the cross of Jesus, your soul will feast your soul will feast. Take hold of him. Behold him. Adore him. Do this. And if you do this, you know, I would challenge you, do this 15 minutes a day. I challenge you. 50, you, you you're, you're doing something a lot 15 minutes a day. You've got something going on, you know. Uh, you do it with other things a lot longer. Do it with him. Adore him. Just take 15 minutes and do it every day. You're never going to have your life changed unless you get good at this, adoring him, worshiping him. Take time to adore him. It's not going to be perfect until we get to heaven. We know that. But it will change your life. Hallowed be his name. Let's pray. So, Father, we're thankful for who you are. The truth of Scripture The instruction that we receive here, what Jesus has done for us. And we see this played out in the lives of all of your people, Old Testament, New Testament. We see uh, this and we, we, we learn from it, we grow from it, we evaluate it, we think about it, we ask for your Holy Spirit's understanding of these things. And then we look at Jesus. Then we look at Jesus. And we see in Jesus the fulfillment of all things. The author, the finisher of our faith. And we come with thanksgiving. And as we come around this table at this moment, Lord, we're thankful for how this began so long ago back in Genesis that our God even back then said I, I'll die for you I love you that much I'll die for you and then we see Jesus I gotta go to the cross I gotta go to the cross if I don't go to the cross you're still in your sins I need you to be with me I need you to be with me 
And when we look at the cross, when we look at all this the scripture points to, it brings us to adoration and praise. And we praise you. We praise you this morning for what you've done in Christ. We ask you to bless this time that we share now uh, as we take uh, the bread and the cup, which symbolizing that amazing love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.